You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Magnet Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Louis Kornfeld. My guest today is the great Darrence Washington. Darrence, thank you for being here. Thank you. I want to discuss the inner master. We Moments <laughs> before we recorded... We were just talking about the pain of watching yourself improvise on video mm-hmm. and dealing with people's unsolicited criticism of your <laughs> abilities as an artist. Yeah. You had mentioned reaching into your inner master. Would it be fair to characterize you as a spiritual person? Yeah, it'd be fair. Let's um, discuss that. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's probably the thing I'm most passionate about, mm-hmm. spirituality, but it's also something that I don't want to like pigeonhole myself into like I'm a spiritual person I think I mean I think it's something that we all have contact with whether we say we're spiritual or not Mm -hmm. we all have some inner life and sometimes I feel like if you go around talking about you're a spiritual person um, people feel like there are certain ways that you have to be yes and I feel like you know I'm I'm on a journey but you know I still like to curse and you know be a regular human being so I don't want to just be like you know oh and I don't want to give anybody the, the impression that I'm that way either. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing I'm most passionate about. And I'm always digging for that because I think that's the only thing that lasts. Everything else, um, it's here for a while and then it's gone. Mm-hmm. But the spiritual stuff, you know, that's with you forever. So, so what, what does that mean to you then, the, like the spiritual journey? What, tell, well, tell me how that expresses itself to you. For me, it's sort of just like a like a bedrock, the thing that that's constantly with you through these lives that we live that are very temporary. Mm-hmm. Uh, many people call uh, many spiritual masters or people would consider the life that we live illusory, and they call it illusory because it's only here very temporarily. It's only here for a very short period of time, um, and so during these very short periods of time, it's very tumultuous. You're always losing stuff or there's a lot of conflict. There are a lot of things to forgive. So for me, spirituality is just like constantly forgiving everything Mm -hmm. that is sort of disruptive to my joy, happiness, um, you know, anything that's sort of blocking me from feeling happy, Mm -hmm. just constantly forgiving it over and over again, holding no grievances. I don't do that. I mean, I try but I still have things that I really like from my childhood or, you know, things in life. Sometimes I can't forgive stuff right away, Mm -hmm. you know, but I always try to go back, you know, later in that day or weeks later, just constantly remember, okay, I want to forgive that. I want to let that go. So for me, it's just like constantly letting go of all the things that are really, really tough and hard to let go of. That reminds me in Buddhism of when people take the Bodhisattva vows, Mm -hmm. which are, are, impossible vows to execute right you know that begins with there are an infinite number of sentient beings and i vow to liberate all of them mm-hmm. there are an infinite number of et cetera, et cetera, and i vow to accomplish it mm-hmm. so the very vow itself that they're taking right. when they accept that path in their life is, is deliberately completely impossible there's no way they can live up to that standard yeah i don't think it's true i don't i think it's very hard yeah i think it takes a lot a long time, yeah. Um, and I think it takes more more than what we consider like our lifetimes. I think we're infinite beings, mm-hmm. so I think that um, you know 
once you kind of wake into some of this stuff, it then takes a long, long time. And most, most of us do not want to commit to that, the time that it will take and the impossibility of it because we don't really have any validation, outside validation for it. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're getting check marks saying, okay, you, you're, you're, you're at this level here. You're at that level. It requires a lot of faith. Mm-hmm. And it's really an experience. You can't, people can talk about it all the time and you can say you're spiritual and you can hear people telling you what you should do. But it's really the experience of that thing within you, of God or whatever you want to call it, that propels you to have faith in it to continue because it just feels better than just about anything else mm-hmm. when, you, when you really feel it. Mm-hmm. And it's like first you get little glimpses of it and you want more and you get maybe some more. But then there are times where you don't feel it for a long time mm-hmm. and then you really feel like, oh, shit, I've, I'm wasting my time. This is bullshit, you know? Um, so it requires a lot of faith, and you definitely feel like it's something totally impossible. It really feels that way. But it's been done before. People have done it. So I feel like we all could do it if we want to. Well, what I kind of get from the impossibility of that is it's more about kind of having, a, having faith in, in a direction that you're going mm-hmm. rather than being this kind of like superhuman Yeah. And that's kind of the issue with people, I think, who talk about how spiritual they are all the time, mm-hmm. is that you sometimes get a sense from them that there's something kind of coldly inhuman about it, that that mm-hmm. spirituality can become a way of denying certain basic realities about mm-hmm. some of the nastier sides of, of your personality. Right. And for me, like I take the impossibility of that as just kind of recognizing that despite the fact that I am composed of of this kind of deeper truth mm-hmm. and also am composed of there's some pretty shitty things about me mm-hmm. and there will continue to be right. shitty, mean, ungrateful parts of me. Right. Far from having to be in denial of that, it's right. despite the fact that that will continue that I still have the choice to face this direction. And, right. And, it's like an integration of all those things right. and choosing to still go on a path of a deeper trying to find a deeper meaning of everything. It's not about denying, you know, there it's, it's sort of about denying. It's, it's sort of about denying a denial. Mm-hmm. It's like denying that you're connected to denying the denial that you're connected to everything. Mm-hmm. So there is sort of a denial in there, but it's a, the forgiveness part comes in where you're recognizing all those dark, dirty parts of yourselves that, that we judge as bad and we often see it in other people much easier than we see it in ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then when we face it in ourselves, we really want to s- stick that stuff deep, deep, deep down because we don't want to deal with that. Mm-hmm. It's about allowing that stuff to come up, letting that light sort of come in contact with that, and you help to heal that. So you don't want to deny that stuff. You want to allow that stuff to come up, and you want to constantly be forgiving yourself first before you're trying to forgive anybody. Mm-hmm. And so that means accepting the bad the good in all of us, you know, and while going on that journey. And it can be very challenging because sometimes you just don't know if you're really on the right path mm-hmm. because the ego gets involved and it can sound a lot like spirituality. Mm-hmm. Spirituality often falls into the trap of the ego where you think you're being spiritual, but your ego is just really in control. And it's really hard. That's why you have to have faith in something like bigger than yourself mm-hmm. and trust that you can forgive yourself when you make mistakes because we're constantly making mistakes. And it's okay to do that. Yeah. 
It, it, RuPaul signs off every uh, episode of, of Drag Race mm-hmm. with, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love anyone else? Yeah. It's totally true. But there's that... He, he, RuPaul is very spiritual. Very spiritual. Yeah. yeah. And, and a real, RuPaul is an endlessly fascinating human yeah, being. Yeah, he's a great person. Yes. Uh, um, and very upfront about, about that spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like, I think about that idea a lot of like, it starts with yourself. You got to put the, you got to put the oxygen mm-hmm. mask on yourself first before you can help other people. Yeah. But love is something I want to talk to you about mm-hmm. because love is one of those things where like, there is a very, your ego has its concept of love and mm-hmm. what love is supposed to feel like. And then there's another kind of love. Right. And I think that the kind of self love that is just self-affirmation right well, there's a place for it but constantly telling yourself that you're awesome and amazing yeah and and deserving it can get you through the day it can get you through the day but it's but it's also yeah it, it can also it can trap you it can be a, a poisonous thing too right because when when you don't get the validation for that outside mm-hmm. you start to feel like you know maybe you're lying to yourself mm-hmm. and it's not right and then you start to attack yourself for not being the great person that you've been reminding yourself that you are every day in the Mm -hmm. mornings or whatever. So it is helpful to kind of energize you, but you're right. That type of love, um, it is, you know, it's like everything else in the world. It kind of comes and goes. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you're really feeling yourself. And then sometimes you fall into these pits where you kind of hate yourself, you know, or you do things that one would think you hate yourself, some type of abuse, you know, or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, the ego has an idea of love, and it usually is considered, um, it's like a very special love. It's just like, you know, me and you, you know, if, you know, like, let's say me and you were good friends. I love you, but I might not like your friends, mm-hmm. you know? And so that love is not like love. That love is like, it's something else. It's like an attachment. But love doesn't, love can't be closed off into anything. Mm-hmm. To love is just to like be it, and it just sort of goes out. So the people I don't like, it's like, forgiving those barriers so you can love them. Mm-hmm. You might not like them. You might not like hanging out with them. You might not want to get them a Valentine's. Right. But you recognize that you guys are connected in some way, right. even if you don't like each other. It's like a love that is just, you just are love and just pouring out. That's what love does. Love does not confine itself into just, okay, we're in this bubble here. I love you. I hate everybody else. Mm-hmm. It's not love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, I, I kind of take the idea of loving yourself as as... Um, being able to witness the good stuff and the bad stuff Mm -hmm. and being able to stay stable in the face of both of those. So, so when the parts of you come up that you're ashamed of or want to change or are in rebellion against or whatever it is, instead of hating yourself for it or becoming, uh, um, like a full blown, like giving in to it and, and just saying, fuck it, I'm a rotten person yeah. or becoming a, a really becoming a, a hypocrite and putting on the mask and denying that you right. have those feelings, repressing it, repressing it and then seeing it in everyone else. Right. And just sort of like projecting all that out. Right. It, it's yeah. just this acknowledgement of neither accepting nor pushing away, just kind of seeing right. it. And there it is. Yeah. And, and, when you can kind of like relax into That's, yourself and befriend yourself, you are, it is easier for you to extend that to other people, whether you emotionally feel love or affection or don't. Right. And like the way I, like um, the way I deal with like prayer, you know, I don't go and 
I try to ask God for stuff. You know, I used to, but I've learned that like one of the best ways to deal with it is just like sit in meditation, mm-hmm. try to let everything go, try to connect with that. Mm-hmm. And then when you feel that throughout the day, when you're con- confronted with things that make you want to be, you know, attacky or defensive because you felt that love at some point in that day or, you know, hopefully as many times as you could, it's easier to let it go. It's mm-hmm. easier not to react that way because you have love. You're not looking for love from anyone out there, whether it's your partner or someone on the street. You are, you, you're connected to love. And so you're able to share it. You don't need anybody to be giving that to you because they really can't give it to you anyway. Mm. You know, you can share in love with people. You can be in love with them, but they can't give you love. You know, you can be in it together, mm-hmm. but you can't, they can't be responsible for offering you the love that you need. It will never be enough. You have a, uh, an Instagram account. Mm-hmm. It is uh, um, underscore, four underscores, Darren's. Yeah. Someone uh, else had my name. I wasn't being pretentious. Okay. Fair enough. I didn't, that wasn't my, <laughs> okay. that, I, though I, know, I did. Every I was, time I tell people that, it's just like they start giggling and I'm like, well, it, it wasn't meant to like be pretentious, but I like to call it like, just like it's bottom line, Darren. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was trying to read significance into it and I just kind of thought of it as like underscoring like like a, a like a sacred breath or like the space before <laughs> oh that's and the, then, oh I might Darren. use that okay I might use that but it was it's more I took it the way I flipped it I yeah. flipped it into like bottom line Darren's <laughs> because it's like it's really me like um, that Instagram more than anything I I do it like encompasses like really how I feel about yeah. things and really what I like to do yeah you know, just without try to step out of ego as much as possible on both, you know, step out of ego in, in the terms of, you know, those messages that I come, they kind of come to me mm-hmm. for me and something. Or I'm like kind of talking to myself and I'm like, I'll share that. And the dancing stuff to, is like, to anyone who's listening, who has not visited the account, yeah. it's videos that alternate with 30 seconds of you dancing yeah. and then other videos where you're sharing kind of words of wisdom. With yeah. People. Sorry to cut you off. Please go. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's fine. It's sort of like uh, just sort of like thought forms, things that. I found a came to me that were helpful for me in a moment. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it, it's like a universal thing that could be helpful to other people. And the dancing stuff is like, it's sort of like super ego, but also like without, because it's like, it's like my, you know, my fantasy of being like a, a superstar, mm-hmm. you know, but being a black gay guy dancing around like that, that is something that you get, a, you know, being a black guy, people do not really like fuck with that that much. Mm-hmm. They're like, what is that? You know, it's not something like something growing up. It's something that a lot of us would be very ashamed of. And I would have been very, very ashamed of doing that maybe five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have shared that. But as I sort of started to get closer to myself and started to like get closer to this like thing that um, is sort of beyond everyone's opinions and beyond my own fears, it like prompted me to want to be creative in that way mm-hmm. and want to share that even if it's not perfect, you know, by no means do I feel like I'm the best dancer or anything like that, but I really love it. And I feel really alive when I'm doing it. And I like when I look back on it and I find like 15 seconds that I think is really hot, mm-hmm. you know, like, okay, cool. You know, it's, I'm, I get excited about it. And so this is about matching that sort of spiritual foundation with what one wants to do and what maybe one is too afraid to do mm-hmm. and what one is afraid of what everyone is going to think of them mm-hmm. if they do it. Um, and so I really love it. It's, it means a lot to me to be able to do it. What kind of started you on the, on the 
path. You said that five years ago you may not have had the courage to oh, to um, share that. What started me on the path? I don't know. I grew up very religious. Um, I grew up in a very religious household. My family were from Houston, Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was raised by my grandparents. Um, my grandfather is a minister, Baptist minister. Um, my grandmother was very religious. And I grew up in the Baptist church. And, you know, going through that was very challenging for me because I wasn't accepting everything they were telling me when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And usually most people do. In that environment, you just, they say it and you accept it. And I was always sort of questioning everything. And then when I like started to reach adolescence and the gay thing started to come, then I re- started to realize this is going to be a problem in this environment, you know? And um, when I was about 17, I just stopped going to church and I just was, I just was over it. It just didn't, you know, some of it felt good, but some of it didn't make sense to me. It, it didn't really match what I really felt. And so I spent a lot of time just sort of like in this place where I wouldn't consider myself an atheist, but I felt like I was, I don't know, I felt a little agnostic at the time. And I always would just say, I believe whatever the truth is, mm-hmm. you know, whatever is really the truth, that's what I believe. And I didn't know what that was, you know, and I still don't think I can put that in there. Any, any one way to put that right. into words. Right. And so I just spent like some years just sort of kind of floundering, just sort of like in between this, you know, Stasis. It was sort of, I didn't really believe anything. And then um, I was, my boyfriend at the time, he had a birthday that came up and I was looking for a gift. And I was in Barnes and Noble and I found this book called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Mm-hmm. And I bought it for him for his birthday. And, you know, I took it home and I had it there for him. And um, he didn't read it. He wouldn't read it. It was there for months. No, nobody ever buys, when you buy somebody a book as a gift, they never read that book. Right. Okay, I didn't know that at the time, but I do know that now. <laughs> yeah. uh, but he wouldn't read it. And so it was there, and I was like, okay, well, I'll read it. And so I read it, and I don't know, it was like the words were alive. It was as if, I remember for like weeks after, it would be times I just felt like I was floating around. I was really, really happy. Um, and I was living in a basement apartment in Jamaica, Queens. It was really low times, mm-hmm. but I was really, really happy. I, it was like this inner thing had been awoken you know, in me. And so I think that was the beginning. And then I just started to read so much stuff. I was just reading everything spiritual. Uh, all, uh, I still probably read that stuff more than anything else, but it was just the time I was just eating it, eating it up mm-hmm. and doing like a lot of meditation and just sort of coming to terms with myself, you know, where I was there. Like, you know, like this is where, you know, where I was, this is who I am, mm-hmm. you know, have to face it. I'm a gay black person who's in, who's, you know, into the arts. Um, it was very challenging trying to be an actor. You know, you go out for roles and either you're not black enough, like you're not the hood guy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the hood guy's going to get their roles because they're more hood than I'll ever be mm-hmm. because they really like that. And, you know, I'm not also not like the most flamboyantly gay guy. So gay black roles are going to be like hairdressers. And I just felt like it wasn't I would go out and I was want to be this actor and I had this idea that I want to be this actor and I wanted to be like, you know, Denzel Washington. I wanted to, if I had to pretend to be something, I would be it, you know? And then I would go out for these auditions and then I started hating it. I just wasn't happy. I'm like, well, it's not going to work, you know? Mm-hmm. And I wasn't happy. And so when, um, you know, I got married and I didn't have to worry about money and I was like, well, I'm going to do what I want to do while I don't have to worry about money. When I have to worry about money, then I, maybe I'll go on auditions for shit I don't like or whatever to make some money, but 
while I'm not concerned about right, you know, finances, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do. And so that's when I started doing that Instagram. It was like I had the time. I didn't have any. It was no excuse for me not to do exactly what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I started doing it. I'm, I'm always like, always really curious about this, this idea of like knowing yourself. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's not something that like philosophers of the ages have told people as a way to like start you on a journey of becoming so confused by what that means right. <laughs> that you have to kind of unhook yourself from looking to other people for the answers. Yeah. Because once you start looking inside your own mind and, and start realizing I have no idea if this is me or if this is the stuff I've absorbed from the people around me, mm-hmm. if I'm just parroting other people's opinions, mm-hmm. if that distinction even matters because I, I live in an ecosystem and none of my ideas are ultimately my own to begin with. Mm-hmm. It, it starts you on this like questioning thing of that can kind of put you in kind of like crisis mode of self doubt. Yeah. And then every now and again, and I don't know if this was your experience when you started the Instagram account, but mm-hmm. you find yourself like something rises to the surface yeah. and there's just kind of like an intuitive sense of rightness of like, I should just do this. Mm-hmm. And you do kind of find that like, you can't pin yourself down and know the answer of who you really are, mm-hmm. but you can kind of listen to that voice as it begins to kind of come knocking on your door. Yeah, like I think that, I mean, you know, the ego is just always confused. It is basically confusion, yeah. you know, basically just don't know anything. You know, we're here and we just basically don't know anything. First time we think we know something, it changes, you know? Um, and so I think, it's a, I think it's just about, I think there are like two voices in your head, you know? There's that holy, you know, they call it the Holy Spirit. And then there's the ego. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how I'll describe it. And... The Holy Spirit is extremely quiet. It doesn't pu- doesn't push you to do anything. It loves you no matter what you it's, can it's do. It's not in a hurry. Yeah, ego ego's in a hurry. Yeah, Holy Spirit is really patient. Right, it will let you be and do whatever you want. You know, it won't. It'll it loves you so infinitely. You can do whatever. You know, Hitler had the Holy Spirit there and just he waited for him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then the ego is there, and it is always pounding away, and it's really loud, and it is screaming constantly, and so. You're constantly hearing it do its thing, and it's pushing you in all these different directions. And then you have this thing that's really, really quiet here. And the only way you could possibly hear it is by starting to get rid of those blocks, all that noise. And so, like, that's where, like, forgiveness comes in. and That's where, like, getting quiet helps. Because then it can help. It can kind of push and guide you in its language. And it's not the same language, you know? And so you don't know when it's going to do, it's, do its thing. But it'll kind of just guide you very gently, mm-hmm. and, and and it might and might do it with ego. You know, I'm not saying my Instagram work is not you know without ego. I'm, it's full of it. I mean, I really live it up sometimes. You know, but it's just about you know being okay with that as well, like not judging myself exactly, and not taking not taking the role of like judge for myself. Just like letting me be how I need to be right now. And not judging myself and not worrying about other people judging me. Well, that's what becomes a little like unnerving when you're around 
like very spiritual people in in who, who like wear their spirituality very mm-hmm. publicly for you to be aware of because mm-hmm. you do kind of get a sense that you're just kind of like dealing with an ego that is dressing itself up as not an ego yeah and, and there's no breathing space there's no like humanity or sense and of that like, really ignites the ego within you because you're like liar yes and then you're like it's impossible to it, it, it brings out some pretty ugly qualities it's and, real bad know. yeah so it, it like that's an interesting thing too because i also i don't trust i don't trust the state of egolessness i think that that our brains have evolved to have ego as a function for a yeah. very specific set of reasons and I just don't think you might be able to periodically fall through the cracks, mm-hmm. but generally speaking, that's a part of your makeup. Yeah, this is the ego world. It is, but so it's this interesting thing of like there, there's like unhealthy ego, and then there's another kind of sort of healthy embracing of your ego. And I think mm-hmm. that you're talking about it now, where it's this other level of forgiveness of even forgiving the fact that that you recognize that the ego is sort of like a useful fiction. That yeah. serves a purpose, but ultimately exists in the state of confusion. Yeah. But you recognize that no, you're you're powerless to drop it, except at certain times. It's just that if you think that you're going to fight the ego and win, mm-hmm. you're so confused about how the ego works. Mm-hmm. It is it's up for a fight. Mm-hmm. You know that's what it does. It's conflict driven. So when you start trying to fight it, it's winning. You know it's it doesn't work like that. Like, it has to be released. Mm-hmm. It has to be undone. Ego is something to be undone. And the only way to undo things is not to feed it, you know? And so that means when you start judging yourself, you're just doing what the ego wants you to do. Mm-hmm. When you start fighting and pulling and, you know, you know, flailing at yourself for having an ego, that's just part of its game. Mm-hmm. It's very ingenious. It's really, really good. You know, it's a cool, it's sort of a dark wizard, you know, the ego. And so... You know, a lot of spiritual uh, teachings, you know, that's why those examples of those things that are sort of outside of the ego world, like um, Jesus or Buddha, are these figures, these symbols, basically. They're like symbols of help because they're not in the system. And so they can, if you ask them to help you, they can help you, Mm -hmm. you know, from within Mm -hmm. in a way that doesn't engage the ego. So, you know, it's one thing to, like, accept that you have an ego, but when you're ready for it to be undone, you're probably going to need some help with undoing it because we're just in it. We don't really recognize the thing that's beyond this world. You know, we can talk about it. I can talk about it, and I can read about it, and once I read about it, I can go and say stuff about it because I do believe it. But I don't have that direct experience where I just know, know it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the, peop- the individuals, those sort of avatars that came before us that went through this these lives, and they figured it out. And once they figured it out, they kind of help us in, from the other side in a way or from within in a very quiet way. They can help you to undo it because just in it, you can't really undo it by yourself because you basically think you're it. Right. There's a, um, there's a, a book I have by uh, Joseph Campbell called The Mythic Image, mm-hmm. um, which is this real thick, heavy, beautifully illustrated book. And, and, and there's kind of two photos back to back one is a painting and the painting is of the cross after the crucifixion Mm -hmm. and it's the painting after the body's been taken down so it's the empty cross and then the other is this sculpture from like Nepal for I don't know 500 years ago or Mm -hmm. whatever and it's a sculpture of the Bodhi tree with the Buddha's 
cushion under mm-hmm. the tree, but no Buddha. So it's a sculpture of after the Buddha got up and left the tree. Mm-hmm. I love both of those so much. The, the idea that when these avatars come alive for you, it's when they their absence is the thing. It, yeah. It's not about the image of this person to look up to, right. but the very idea that we have this story that's able to give a human form to this thing that ultimately is not ego. And in both right. of these pictures, it's the disappearance of what you would identify as the person there right. that now starts you on the path of... Yeah, because then you can see that it's sort of, you know, it's about the transcendence of these things. Mm-hmm. It's not about, you know, it's not about the crucifixion. It's about like the resurrection mm-hmm. and the transcendence of the crucifixion, the transcendence of ego and all the suffering and all the projection of guilt. It's about the transcendence. So, you know, when you don't, when you can recognize that, you know, the image is of them normally being in those places. Mm-hmm. And then you see that the image is still there, but they're not there anymore. It's sort of like a, it's sort of like a freeing thing. I think when you see that, because they're kind of free of those things that those images that they were held by, you know, um, a lot of those, a lot of the times I see the, like Jesus on the cross and it's sort of like a glorification of the bodies and pain and mm-hmm. suffering. And I don't really think that was the message. I think the message was that you can transcend the pain and the suffering, not to just endlessly suffer. Right. You know? And so sometimes by seeing like Jesus on the cross and like bloodied and whatnot, I think that we get confused and we just identify with pain and suffering and and, and, and I, th- I think desensitized to other people's pain because of that too because yeah. i do think that like you know if you're in physical pain or you're in severe mm-hmm. emotional pain that image of of christ on the cross suffering mm-hmm. i can see where that would be a, a comfort of feeling like there's another person who shared yeah i'm not alone mm-hmm. with it mm-hmm. but i think that you get addicted almost in this like sadomasochistic way to the pain you worship this idea of this guy I'm, who's so perfect i'm on the path cuz i'm suffering right you know and and it it can make you kind of a cruel person to other people because yeah. again it, and right, to yourself it, and to yourself it's ego coming back in to define yeah. you based on what makes you superior to other people yeah it's tricky it's smart let's talk about acting for a minute because I think this ties in so nicely. I read, um, I don't remember the name of the book now, but it basically made the point that you can kind of see human existence as, as we're on this kind of continuum. And on one side of the continuum, really, we the ego is, a, is an illusion. Really, mm-hmm. really, we don't have the individuality that we think we do mm-hmm. because we exist in a network in which everything has to go together or nothing can be here. Right. So if you were to ask the question, well, who am I really? The answer is every single thing. Yeah. That's why people, that's why you'll hear a lot of spiritual people or a lot of spiritual readings say I am. Right. They don't put anything after that. Right. The biblical name of, of God, when God reveals himself to Moses. Yeah. On the other side of this spectrum though, is very clearly Within this network, mm. we have an individuality, right. and the 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 idea behind this book is neither of them is true nor false. But if you think of them as existing like poles on an egg, mm-hmm. you need both of those poles for it to make any kind of sense. And so, like that's kind of our 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 persona, whatever you want to call it, our s whatever it is, right. is the coexistence of both of these poles. We are at the same time 
nobody special. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, uh, we are the unique manifestation of a personality that has never existed before and will never exist again, both at the exact same time. And so rather than seeing your ego as this thing that needs to be defended at all costs, Mm -hmm. it's this other point of view that I'm really not this ego, and at the same time, this ego is the most specific expression of what makes me a unique part of this larger whole. Yeah. It sort of goes back to what I was saying like about Holy Spirit and ego. Um, it's like everything is happening simultaneously. Mm-hmm. You are both experiencing life as an ego while being something far, far beyond an ego. And it's sort of about where you can't really, you can try to jump back and forth between the two, mm-hmm. but it usually creates a lot of confusion and it, and it's fine. If you want, if you still, if you want to just experience ego lives, you can have it as long as you want. But sometimes, at some point, you kind of get tired of ego lives or you get tired of that sort of endless cycle. And at that point, if you want like release from it, then you have to start identifying with that part of you that's not an ego, even while you are experiencing life as a very, very singular individual, mm-hmm. ego individual. So it's kind of like all about who you identify with and what do you want to listen to. Mm-hmm. You, can listen, you can try to listen to both, but you're probably just going to end up getting more of the same. Mm-hmm. If you listen to just the ego, then you're going to be disillusioned at some point, and mm-hmm. it's going to be tough. And if you choose to listen to the Holy Spirit or whatever you want to call it, um, you can be free of it, but it'll take a long, long time. <laughs> and you will probably be, you know, most of us will probably get tired of, um, tired of that fight, you know? It, it seems like the fun, if you can find, like, the fun of living is... is In the ego. Well, both, I think, Be- yeah. because it, it, you have to veer between both sides, right? There's mm-hmm. there's fun in embracing your ego, mm-hmm. and then there's fun in letting go of it and and realizing that that's just kind of a dream play that's going on. Yeah, I don't know. I think that when you really start letting it go, I think ego gets real vicious, and it starts not being so fun. Well, that's where I now... So we have this capacity to also make a game out of celebrating the ego. Mm-hmm which is like partly what acting is all about, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's this thing that at all times in all cultures, people are drawn to just kind of perform for each other all the time. Mm-hmm. So it seems to be an important part of our makeup. Uh, and I think that it has something to do with that of we're making a game out of our ego. And, and when you do that, it's almost like your own ego. It's like a dog almost. Mm-hmm. It can be really vicious if it, if it thinks that you're attacking. Mm-hmm. But if you become playful and are playing the game of ego, it, it's almost like it wants to play along. Yeah, you do get improvising. You get a huge kick. Your ego gets a huge thrill out of yeah. improvising. But the thing that everybody across the board says when you're improvising really well is it feels like it's not me up there doing it. It's mm. just happening. Yeah, it, you know, it, it it's calling it a Holy Spirit, I think is probably inappropriate, but it's the thing that it's the part that does, I don't identify as being me. Yeah. I suddenly am experiencing myself as being part of a larger whole and I'm just doing the things that need to be done. I don't know if it would be, I don't know if it's necessarily inappropriate to call it that. I mean, I read this uh, spiritual book religiously. It's called A Course in Miracles. I love it so much. And it's this, um, there's this one um, statement that it says you can either be hostage to the ego or host to God. And so sort of when that thing happens and you are kind of free of fear and it just sort of guides you, that is sort of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. That is sort of the voice for God, just sort of like 
getting you through what you need to get through without all that cl- that clutter. And you know that's that's an exhilarating feeling when we it feels effortless when it feels um, free of your judgment and it just does it. I mean, I think you know anytime that I do well on you know in improv, I don't know how it happened, mm-hmm. and that's what that that's when my ego gets really sort of activated after like a really good scene or after a really good set and then right before it's time to do another one I'm like I don't know how to yeah. I don't know how to do that yeah. I don't know what you know they they thought it was good last time but I don't know how to make that happen again yeah. and so what am I supposed to do I don't I don't know how to do that you know and so that's where that trust comes in it, that's you know that's what I'm trying to work on in improv is like trust just like trust that you're talented trust that something else will push you when you don't have what you think you have you know and you know the good can get the ego activated just like the bad can it's well it, i think the trust goes it, it's trust in yourself but it's also trust so so let me back up and say so okay. holy spirit maybe is a good way to describe it i am i'm not embarrassed to use that phrase for it i think that the connotation of holy spirit i know it, it's it, it's weighted it, it's very weighted uh, um, but like if you start to kind of see the functioning, the acting out of that as mm-hmm. not just being a religious thing, right. but as being kind of a universal all the time yeah, thing. Like when I say the word, I know that it's weighed with all the, I used to have, I, I come from a Christian background yeah. and God, Holy Spirit, Jesus, all those terms for me, like in my late teens and early twenties, it was like red flag, red flag, get away from it. Sure, hate Cause it. it's a way of keeping hate, people in line. Yeah, it's, it's hate it. Yeah. Hate you for saying it. Don't want to talk about it, right. you know. But what I found is that that's the ego too. Yeah, ego sort of blocking you from something that could help you because you're identifying with the negative, the way other egos have negatively used it. Mm-hmm. And so it is very universal. You can take Holy Spirit and call it whatever you want. It's just the way that I'm using it sure. right now. Sure. You know, it's just that thing that is sort of egoless that loves you and gets you through the ego game and like you but, said. but it's it's more than just something that's inside yourself it's something that's kind of between everything too oh yeah it's in everything when i say myself i mean the, all the of the us larger it's like self, a universal right. myself it's like it's in everything right it is aware of everybody it, like by identifying with it it's the smartest thing we could do because it is aware of everything mm-hmm. and so when you identify with the ego you're only in you right and so you might hurt someone and you don't think you, you don't you think that you're unaffected by your hurt of them this is not true because we're all connected. You hurt them, you're hurting yourself. Mm-hmm. Holy Spirit is aware of everything. And so it sort of guides you in a way that is not harmful to others because the other is not really there. It's all one, you know? And so that's why I find it important to, you know, identify with it. And I used to feel, you know, very uncomfortable saying it. And, you know, I know this is not the environment where people want to hear about the Holy Spirit. But I also feel like it's fine to say it. And it's fine to, you know... Acknowledge that it's not as bad of a word as, you know, Christianity has made out of it yeah. because of all the harmful things that it's done. It has very good origins and could be very helpful to some people. I want to come back to religion in just a moment. Okay. But I want to talk about improv for a second. Even though, in a way, we've been talking about improv the entire time. I, two examples come to mind of shows where I kind of had like an epiphany afterwards and, and then... And then the ego kicks back in. Mm-hmm. One of them was a show. I was doing a show with Rick Andrews one time that took place on a uh, on a cargo ship. We were both loading cargo and like documenting cargo and stuff for like an hour, just one scene. And we got to this point where um, 
there kind of wasn't a lot left to do in the show, but mm-hmm. we still had like 15 minutes to play. Mm-hmm. And like, it was fine, but it was kind of just like a mellow show. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, somebody's phone went off and their phone, uh, uh, the ringer happened to be the sound of a ship's alarm. Wow. And so we both immediately started like moving around the stage, like the ship had, uh-huh. was uh, uh, like unmoored, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, and it gave us the last 15 minutes of a show Sweet. like that. Similar thing happened in another show I was in years ago called Theory of Everything, where uh, um, it also actually had to do with the sea, too. It was these these guys, the show was these guys had been kind of, they were working on a ship, and they had encountered something uh, uh, in the ocean, and now this government agency was like uh, um, questioning them and being very mysterious about what these questions meant. That was the first half of the show. Then the second half of the show were um, these three guys in an apartment and had been established that they were the only three people in this apartment. Mm -hmm. And we kind of hit like a point in the show where there was like nothing left to do again. And at that moment, somebody from the audience flushed the toilet really loudly. Mm -hmm. And we all reacted to the toilet being flushed and then realized that one of us was actually like a creature or an alien or something from the ship. It doesn't make sense when you explain it. But it was one of those things where it was like... Something outside of you guys helped you, or seemingly outside of you. And it's this thing of, oh, these perfect moments that are much better than any of us could have just come up with don't even have to do with our trust and our abilities as an improviser. Mm -hmm. It just so happens that that night there were people in the audience who contributed their thing to it. Right. And you have that, that realization where it's like, sometimes these shows are so far out of our hands that they have to do with the entire room and not just yeah. how well-trained right. I am. Yeah. And, and that's like, you have that experience and it, that's when you kind of believe in magic. Yeah. And then about a week later, your ego does its best to try to like... Oh, write that off. Exactly. It writes it off. And it says writes it off. It's just a little, you know, that's nothing. It, it, it'll, it'll kill all the, all the magic out of stuff or yeah. all that sort of stuff. That's why you just have to like not take it seriously when it starts. It's yappering about you or other things. If you want to, you know, it, you, you can if you want to take it so seriously, but it never stops. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It always has a problem with you... Or somebody else. And so even with, you know, with improv, I mean, it gets me go it gets my ego going a lot, you know, and sometimes it's not until a day later that I can relax on it. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes it's right away. Sometimes I'm like I'm 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 fine with that. You know, some mistake I made or you know. But it is like about that trust, you know, not just in yourself, but just in everything. That it'll be fine. You'll 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 be okay. You'll get through it, you know some way and you don't have to force it and when the ego starts yapping you don't have to pay so much attention to it yeah you can just let it talk like the ego like one of the best ways to deal with it is just let it do its thing you know if you feel like really ego activated kind of go by yourself for a while because you don't want to like throw that on anyone else just let it do its thing you know you don't have to identify with every thought that comes in your head yeah you know that's what i've learned there's another side to that too you walk away from a show and you just are so happy that you are you you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And you that's, think you're, yeah, I know. And, and I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm saying that in like a really good way oh, yeah. of like, it's kind of this like perfect center point where you, your ego is fully charged, mm-hmm. but it's not dominating. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's on, you know, it's on, 
you're also aware that that show that you just pulled off was outside of your control, mm-hmm. but you also know that you rose to the occasion yeah. and gave it your all and it worked. And there's this like beautiful momentary feeling of like, God damn, I'm happy on me. Yeah. I had a, I had a moment like that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, me and Chris Dwayne, we, we did a duo show um, at the Viper. I think it was a Monday night mm-hmm. and we hadn't we hadn't rehearsed. I haven't done any work with Chris Dwayne in a long time since you know maybe like a level three. I don't know. It's been a long time, but we totally crushed that show. Yeah. You know, it was just like it just worked. And afterwards, it was just like you had this euphoric feeling. Like you know, there's no I can't take credit for that thing working. We we didn't prepare for that. It wasn't because you know we're just some gods. It just sort of worked, and it just felt really good. You know, and you felt, felt very happy to be me and I felt happy to be there. And, it, you know, I, I still look very fondly on that show because, you know, we do so much rehearsing. You do so many things that you, you know, and that show had a lot of um, not good improv in it. Mm. Like it was a transaction scene. It was like all type of stuff that, you know, they say is not good in improv. And yet it was really, really good. Mm-hmm. And so it just felt really, really good. And I was just very happy to be me, like you said. And so, yeah, sometimes it just, I don't know. Sometimes I don't know if it's ego gratifying or not because sometimes it feels so good that it must be ego, but it seemed like something else had, had helped me out, you know? If this makes sense, and it probably doesn't, but it's like there are times where, like, the ego is, is kind of like, it's like a stained glass window almost, mm-hmm. right? Like, the ego has, like, color to it, right, like, mm-hmm. and, and personality to it. And there are some times where it's, like, opaque, and it just doesn't feel like there's any light getting through. Yeah. And there's other times where it feels like it's translucent and there's light getting through. And that's great. Yeah. It's like when it's like opaque and over, it's like casting a shadow on you. Yeah. It, it, you're very addicted to yourself, but you're very unhappy with that addiction. Yeah. It's a negative addiction. <laughs> and there's other times where you walk away and you're feeling great and you, it's totally ego. You know, you're on an ego high, yeah. but there's also this feeling of like, God bless the fact that I am here and alive yeah. with these people. Totally. And which I like to take it back to Instagram for a second. I can, my interpretation of what you're saying is that that's kind of what you're expressing with dancing in those videos, that there's a celebration of the things that you love yeah. and what makes you happy. Yeah. Like sort of, it's sort of like, um, it's sort of like ego to the max, but driven by something that isn't as judgmental as ego is. Right. You know, um, I wish that everybody liked it and loved it, and I wish I was the best dancer in the world, and I wish that it was super fantastic. But I know going into it that that's not necessarily the case. But I do believe in myself and that something good can be there, and that no matter what you know the outcome is, that the time spent doing it, the time spent editing it, the time spent you know getting pumped when I'm about to share it, that's all the beautiful stuff. Like that's the gift of creativity and that's the gift. It's not so much about the end result and who loves it and what's, you know, how much validation I get. Like we're talking hours of real joy, you know, and sometimes maybe not joy. Sometimes I have a bad, I'm in a bad mood or something really is shitty is happening in my life, but I go and spend my hour in the studio like I do. And within that time, I'm beyond that stuff. That stuff is not, you know, that, that, Ego stuff is not sticking to me. It's like I'm just, you know, trying my best to connect with something bigger than me. Because to be honest with you, the times that the dancing is good is when I'm out of my way. 
it's not when I'm thinking about it. When I have an idea about something, I'm going to do it like that. It never really works. Mm-hmm. Or if I see somebody, I love, I love college majorettes. And like, I love girls dancing. Mm-hmm. That's why my dancing is really girly, because I love a certain type of girl, the way they dance. And anytime I try to copy them, like verbatim too much, it never works. Mm-hmm. It's, it's got to be like the spirit of it. Yeah. yeah. This, the only time it works, you know, most of the time I'll put those sunglasses on. And I think when it's really good is when I close my eyes. Mm-hmm. I just position my head where the camera is because I want it to seem like I'm looking at it. <laughs> but it's basically like I'm doing like a dancing meditation. And to be honest with you, I think that's the time when they're better. That's the time when it's like I've gotten out of my way. Something else is helping me and it does it through me. And that's when it's the best. And I'm very happy during those times. I'm, you know, I'm not worried about whatever's going on in, in the life. Whatever has to be dealt with has to be dealt with. But in that hour, in that time, I'm really, I feel really free. As free as, as, free as I feel. Mm-hmm. You know, as free as I can feel. How does improv fit into all this for you? Like, what, where is improv in... I don't want to say, like, hierarchy, but <laughs> in, in the circle... If we imagine a, a, a circle as being like your your sphere of self-expression uh-huh. or self-empowerment, uh-huh. where does improv lie in that circle for you? What 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 mm. role does it play for you? Improv for me is one. It's a way for me not to just only be by myself because that work is very sort of isolated mm-hmm. and it's just me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that because I like that I can be as weird as I want to be and no one's telling me what I need to do or how I need to do it. Um, but improv for me is more collaborative and it means that I have to, I find that I have to adjust a bit in improv one because of cultural things Mm -hmm. like race. Um, improv is heavily white. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, at first it was very challenging to come in and I don't know half the references that people say, and they don't know half the shit I'm talking about if I bring up a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times there can be this clashing if we're just going on like, knowledge and wit there's this clash it doesn't work and so i found that i had to learn to open up and be more emotional and open up to and watch other people's emotion as opposed to only listening to what they say because sometimes i don't know what they're saying Mm -hmm. so i have to i have to I, i have to see what they're giving me you know and so it was a challenging for a while but you know i feel like it's i'm getting better at it and so i'm starting to have a for a while, I did feel like improv, I, I was too weird for it, or I wasn't, it wasn't working for me. Mm-hmm. You know, even though I was going through all the classes and I got on, you know, team, I just felt like I just, sometimes I felt like it was like oil and water, mm-hmm. like it wasn't working. But the more that I just sort of relax and trust that I'm okay as I am, and that other people are fine as they are, we don't have to know everything about each other. We don't have to be culturally in sync. We're human beings, mm-hmm. and as human beings, we can connect on some level. You know, there's something there, and so when I recognize that, then I feel easier about improv. I still, you know, I I don't see a, a lot. I don't watch a lot of improv shows mm-hmm. because when I'm watching them, I feel like I can't do what they're doing. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And I feel like they're great at what they do, and I appreciate it a lot. But if I watch that and then go and try to do an improv scene, one, I start feeling insecure about my improv because I can't do the good the way they do good. I have to do the good the way I do good improv, you know, using everything that we've been taught. But it's just the approach 
feels different. I don't know if it's culturally, if it's a culture thing or what, um, but I find it's better if I just kind of go cold and do improv from where I am mm-hmm. as opposed to watching it and then feeling like an outsider and I can't do it, you know? I can't do it like other people, other good improvisers do good improv. Well, I'm sure the culture thing is a big part of it, but like I, I feel the same way when I watch a good improv show. Mm-hmm. I, I watch people improvise and and if it's a good show, my consistent thought is like how do they do it Mm, i have no idea how to even get started doing it and it's like a chilling feeling yeah i think that there like some aspect of it is it's just easy to spot what other people are doing really well Mm -hmm. and much harder to spot what you're doing really well yeah because the thing that you're really you're doing really well you're so close to it in a way that you belittle it maybe or or just like don't give it it's Right. Value, and it's very easy to give that value to what other people are doing really well. Yeah. But I mean, the cultural thing is a really big part of it, too. I want to talk about that because, you know, like obviously everybody wants the future of improv is, is more diverse improv. Yeah. Um, but it's a really hard, there's this firewall to break through of it's a very white sensibility yeah. still. Yeah. Um, because historically it's been a very white sensibility. And so it's yeah. just kind of hard to, in order to break that, a lot of effort has to be made among everybody to yeah, learn I think, how to better talk, right? Right. I think that it requires, I think it requires a lot from the minority in the sense that it means that you're going to have to be willing to feel out of place for a long time Mm -hmm. and it means that you're going to have to not listen to the ego when it tells you you are out of place Mm -hmm. and you don't belong there and that you're not smart enough and that you're not good enough you have to really quiet that for a long time because you can very you absolutely can get there and then you'll have something very fresh and very different to offer the art form but I think a lot of people give up early Yes. yes I think that you know, I, I remember in level one, it was a lot of black people that were in my class. Mm-hmm. You know, a good amount. Not a lot, but a good amount. Level two, maybe one. By the time you get to level three and four, mm-hmm. they've all kind of gone away. And I don't know if, it's, if that's just money or if it's also just like, you know, it's when you're in, these, uh, in the improv community, a lot of people, you know, it's not okay just to go to class. Mm-hmm. You know, you're supposed to go to class and then you're supposed to go drink after. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to go do everything after. And then if you don't do that, then people start to, you notice that they kind of click up and you're kind of like the, you know, the outsider. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for people of color, a lot of the times, you know, unless, unless we went to white colleges or, you know, did a lot of things, with, you know, like white young people, you know, growing up. We might not want to go and have a drink after. We might have had enough after class. That was a lot of white, you know, for us mm-hmm. right then and there. And so for me, a lot of time, I just liked, I like to do the work and then I like to go home because a lot of times during class or rehearsals, everyone, I'm accommodating to everybody. I'm, you know, I'm listening to their points of views and they're talking about their things. And then, you know, so after that, I want to kind of be able to be myself, you know? And so I think that it requires like the artist, the minority artist needs to just, kind of relax and accept you know that it's okay to be different and that you're an equal part of the community if you're in it but you got to be in it Mm -hmm. you know and that doesn't mean you have to go out and do anything but you have to do you know you got to go and do solid work you got to go and try out for those teams and you got to 
go out there and you got to fail like anybody else would fail trying to learn to do something. Mm-hmm. And you can't just, you know, fall into the trap. Well, it's a white thing. I can't do it because of that. You have to say, no, you have to just stick with it because there is a, I think it's a great art form. And so I think that, you know, the minorities got to stick with it. And then the white people, <laughs> they got to just recognize that, you know, everybody don't know everything that they're talking about. Like that you guys, it's, you speak a language that's really for you guys. Mm-hmm. You know, the, you don't mean to be it. It's, it's like coming to somebody else's house. It's just, it's your house. And so in your house, you got your, your thing. But a lot of times, you know, we don't operate in that exact same way. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think that the way we operate, you know, it might come off, like I felt like the way I operate sort of naturally and sort of as a performer, I'm very aggressive. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, you know, I, I remember getting comments of, you know, why are you so mean? And it just makes me feel like I can't go about it my way because I'm a frightened white people mm-hmm. by doing, you know, by talking like how I talk, by going about things kind of the way I go about things. And so it's just about that, that recognition that everyone doesn't go about things the same way and everyone doesn't communicate the same way. And sometimes if you come from a different background, you might not communicate the same way as someone else is communicating mm. and kind of to kind of be open to that. So we both have to be open to each other. You know, the minorities have to be open to it being a white, heavily white art form right now. Yeah. And adjusting to that without losing themselves, you know, adjust to that without losing everything that's great about being a black guy, you know, or whatever, wherever you're from. And, you know, the white people have to understand that, okay, I might have to, I might have to go a little closer to what they're doing here because, you know, that's how, that's how we're going to communicate. Right. It's not just, oh, this is our thing and this is what we do and they better come on and get on with it. You know I think I mean? a lot of white people don't recognize that we're speaking a white language. Yeah, I know. Right. I don't think you do. Um, yeah, I don't think most, I don't think most, I don't think most of you do. But I mean, that's the, that's the wake up call is the realization of, oh, you just don't think about it. Yeah. And to, to, to have to wake up to that and to have to think about it and to, it, I mean, it's good. It, yeah, it, it's, it's nothing to be guilty about. No. It's just about like, you know, it's like a, it, it requires you guys being open too. Big time. You know, like we all got to be open. I got to be open to what you're giving me, even though I feel like oftentimes it's like a little over my head. Mm-hmm. I got to be open to the fact that, okay, I can find a way to communicate with this. I, don't, I might not be there. I might not talk about it that exact same way, but they're giving me something because they're human beings. Right. They're giving me something. You know, maybe it's not in the words. And, you know, it's just about being open to communicate with mm-hmm. each other, even though we come from different places. Well, it's interesting because it is like, it's learning a very different cultural language because there's, there are, there's a reference barrier. And there are rules. And there, yeah, for sure. But starting from that basic thing of the human being connection, mm-hmm. which I think is always like the smart way to go. The thing, you know, when you watch anybody improvising, if they improvise long enough, improvisers tend over time it's almost like you start like very deep under the ocean and over time you just kind of like bob up to the surface Mm. improv over time becomes super shallow. And as people get better at it, they get lazy with it Mm -hmm. and they just get up and they say 
quick, funny yeah. things. And, and you don't see That's what gets you the validation early. It does. And you get good enough that it's like, okay, I can build the architecture of this stuff without having to have a strong emotional connection with mm-hmm. each other. But it becomes less about acting and it becomes more about just like getting up there, giving your time and then having a drink afterwards. Yeah. And it, it seems to me that like, not only if you want to be a really good improviser, but if you want to do the work to to bridge this gap a little bit, you know what I mean? To, yeah. to, to actually have more interesting, to push forward for the future, yeah. right? I think, I think the art form is great, and I think it has so much potential to go further. And you asked me where it stood in my circle. Yeah. Um, when, you, when you talk about being a good actor with improv, yeah. it's really high in my circle. Yeah. When you just say the word improv, and I just think about just like regular, you know, the first thing, it's a little lower. Yeah. It's sort of like pushing improv to be that great thing that is like connected and full of life and not just not just surface, not just quick witty. It's like when it's like acting meets improv, it's right it's really high on my list. Mm-hmm. But when it's just sort of like I do improv, ha uh-huh, mm-hmm. it's sort of like uh, you know, kinda up there on my list. I mean I do I do improv more than I do anything else, except maybe the um, now I probably do more improv than even the Instagram stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's up there. It's it's my it's my bread and potatoes right now. Here's to a future of better acting and improv. Yeah, I think it's I think it'll be great when it when that those two come together for real. Well, I wonder if they like. I wonder if that's being utopian or not. And I don't mean to be yeah. like cynical about it, but like it kind of seems to me like since the very beginning of improv, it's, there's always been this push and pull between two main things. Mm-hmm. On the one side, there's been the immediacy of creating a theater that reflects the people in the room. Mm-hmm. The immediacy of using your own words, your own life experiences, your own feelings to connect and to speak immediately to mm-hmm. what life is about for us. And then on the other hand, it's an easy way for people to develop bits and find characters that work and be funny. And, and so there's always been that thing of like a theater for all of us to be together and, and kind of get to, get to learn about our group mind mm-hmm. and versus a theater that kind of produces entertainment. And I think it's always going to have that split. It's always going to kind of live between those two poles. But I think that those are important poles because if you if you see them as like two poles, it's like the electricity of improv is constantly flowing back and forth yeah, between I think those it's two. The, I think it's fine. Those are the two poles. Yeah. Um, I think it'll be it'll just be cool if like you know those poles can also you know you can have people that just want to do the witty stuff and they get together and they make great improv like that. You know the quick stuff and then you have people that get together that want to do the other kind and they make great improv like that yeah and there's room enough for both of them you know i think that i'm you know i'm more interested in the connection path with improv because it can be i like to see improv that i remember yeah. after you know a couple of days yeah you know sometimes i see improv and it's really funny in the moment and then i go home and i don't remember what happened because they were really smart and they were really good but no, 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 it didn't really stick with me. And it, then sometimes it didn't you see make it an emotional sticks impact. With you. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And that's what I like. I mean, I, I, was, I trained in Meisner yeah. um, acting. And most of the Meisner training are basically improvised scenes. You're basically improvising acting scenes. You, you do this activity, you get this activity, and you're basically, you and your scene partner, you, you prep emotionally before you do it. 
and you have an idea of where you're going emotionally mm-hmm. before you do it. And then you do it, and then you see these great acting pieces come out of it. You know, it, it's not as yes, Andy. Mm-hmm. It's not as like continuing something to make a full piece. Mm-hmm. It's usually scenes that you're doing. Um, and it works for scenes. I don't think it would work for like a form, just attacking it that way. You definitely need some of that improv stuff. But I've seen some of the best acting I've ever seen in that environment, sort of improvised acting. Mm-hmm. I've seen great, great acting, like better than stuff I've seen in movies. Sometimes I've seen, you know, by acting students. And so there's definitely like, you know, room for that. And that stuff can be really cool if it's matched with all of the improv rules of yes and and patterns and watching stuff. I think some compelling stuff is really going to happen in improv. Let's improvise right now, Darren. Okay. It's time to move on to a portion of the conversation called improvising opposite wait improvising a very serious scene opposite a jar of pickles is that what we're calling it yeah. I, for, I forget what we call it okay all right so here's how this goes i'm going to give you a scenario for a scene wow and you really have the pickles we here. have a real jar of pickles it's not improvised pickles no it's real pickles it's a bng <laughs> new york deli style pickles I'm going to give you a context for a scene. This jar of pickles is your scene partner. Okay. The way it works is you're going to do you're going to do the scene. The only rule is when you address the jar of pickles, you call it jar of pickles. That's its name. Okay. I'm going to give you about a minute or two minutes to do a, 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 a fully emotional connected scene. Okay. With this jar of pickles. <clears throat> Here's the situation. So you and the jar of pickles, you're a, um, not an RA, but like, what's like the step higher than an RA in a college? You know what I'm talking about? Like, like the person in charge. Anyway, you're, you're like, you're He's over you, the building or something. To, to yeah. You're, like you're like oversee all the RAs. So you like okay. professionally live at college. Okay. You, you and the jar of pickles have been in a very heated, uh, long distance romance. Okay. For a couple of years now. Okay after a lot of going back and forth and kind of arguing with your feelings and whatnot, the jar of pickles at your request, you've begged the jar of pickles to move across country, be with you Mm -hmm. really give this, you don't want to be long distance anymore. It's a real serious thing. Jar of pickles has uprooted its life, flown all the way across country, got rid of, got rid of, got rid of the apartment, Mm -hmm. moved with you to the college campus. Now you're living together and you realize this is not going to work out. Okay. And you're going to have to tell the jar of pickles that uh, this is not going to, this isn't working. All right. Um, hey, jar of pickles. Hey, um, baby, can I, can we talk for a second? No, uh, um, it, yeah, it's sort of serious. Maybe you want to get off the phone. Okay. I'll wait. Um, um, are you, are you hungry? Do you, you're not? Okay. Um, I, I'm, I'm feeling like we're not connected anymore. Dark pickles, please listen, listen to me. Listen. Okay. I'll let you talk and I'm going to talk. You want me to talk first? Okay. (sighs) Things are different since you moved here. I don't know what it is. I don't know what happened. 
but I feel like we are not in sync. And I feel like if I don't say something, we're going to just waste a lot of time. Yeah. Okay, please do not throw, do not throw my computer. Okay, you threw the computer. Okay, all right. You have every right to be mad. I know I, I did ask you to move here. I did. Because I thought it was going to work. I thought it was going to work. I did not think that when you got here, I would start feeling suffocated. Not suffocated literally, but just like I feel like you don't have any friends here. And you're always here. And now I don't know <laughs> what to do because anytime I go out, you want to come out with me. And I just need, I need some time alone. Well, I did tell you that already. I've already discussed this with you, but you didn't, you didn't do anything about it. So <laughs> now I feel like we're just at a place where I think that we just need to move on. Yes, I am breaking up with you. Let's <laughs> see. <laughs> Evan, I think this may have been our very finest, very serious scene, opposite of Jar of Pickles. Oh, you do this a lot. Yeah, we do it. Now we're doing it since, the, since we came back from the summer. Uh-huh. Now we're doing it with every episode. Give everyone the chance to improvise. But I'm not a fan of people improvising on improv podcasts because it's never like the best improv. Uh-huh. You know, like it's always like you improvise, like you would improvise with me. Mm-hmm. But it kind of feels like neither of us would be given the opportunity to really do what we do really well sitting with headphones on. Mm-hmm. But I like the idea of like, well, if you just got to speak to a jar of pickles, it's like <laughs> pretty easy to just kind of like let yourself go in a performance. <laughs> yeah. You created space for that jar of pickles to have its own emotions too. I like that. That made oh. it real. Yeah. Got to respect the jar. <laughs> the jar moved all the way. You know, it's a tough situation. <sighs> that would be a real, that's a bad situation. Yeah, it's a really bad situation. Ugly. That's the worst. That, I'll tell you what, that's the real like test of a person's character is your ability to like own up to like, I know I made this happen, but yeah. I also have to say, no, you commit yourself, man. That's a bad, that's a bad place. It's a bad place. <laughs> God damn it. But you know what? You're both better people for it at the end of that situation. After, it, after it's done, you're better people. If you know something is wrong, you do not want to commit yourself to that path. No, you don't. But often we do. And then you deal with the bad a lot later after a lot of time has been passed. Darren's Washington. It's been a great pleasure talking together. Thank, oh, thank you for you. doing the show. Thanks for having me. You have uh, some shows coming up. You're playing with Sexy Baby on Wednesdays. Yep. You have Friday Night Show. Yep. Anything else you want to plug? Um, I have some stuff coming up, but I don't know the exact dates. So right. I don't know. Well, Google around, folks. Check it yeah. out. <laughs> Terrence, thanks again, man. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. A couple of other big thanks. First off, to our producer, Evan Ford Barden, to our engineer, Grant Michael Goldberg, to our executive producer, Ed Herbsman, and to all of you fine, wonderful people for listening to this podcast. If you have a suggestion for a scene you would like to see opposite a jar of pickles, it has to be very serious. You can tweet that suggestion at us. Uh, If you enjoyed the show, please give us a positive shout-out on whatever platform you happen to be listening to this to, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, all that good stuff. we would certainly appreciate it. Once again, a huge thank you, Terrence Washington, folks. Thanks, everyone, and goodbye! You've been listening to the Magnet Podcast.
This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at magnettheater.com.